Okay, welcome to Rothko Presents Can Watch 2021. I'm Alan Kelly, Chief Creative Officer at Rothko Accenture Interactive. And together with our panel, we'll be discussing some of the incredible work we've noticed over the first few days of this year's Can Lines. With over 29,000 entries each year, Can is where the most exciting and ambitious work comes to battle it out. So whether you're a creative, a client, or simply fascinated by how advertisers are tackling the biggest global problems, stay with us. Joining me today to chat about some of the winners so far and the work that has caught their attention are Senior Creative, Anthony Artusa. Hello. Data Strategist Lead, Jen Langham. Hi, how are you? And Connection Strategy Lead, Joe Roman. Hi, Al. Guys, welcome, welcome, welcome. So. This was a bit of a complete fluke to be doing this today because we have just found out that Rothko has won the Creative Data Grand Prix. (laughs) Cue cheering and clapping. Um, Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, We are a little bit, we're still sober, but we are uh, just blown away. It is so, so, it's so hard to win a line or even get Mm. shortlisted. So to win uh, a Grand Prix is incredible. Uh, Shane O'Reardon, who's um, our head of design, was telling me, he was, he bizarrely kept some facts about this. And he said that um, this, you know, the the chances of winning a Cannes Grand Prix are like 0.5. Zero one seven or something like that. It's insane. It's really hard. So just a massive congrats to everybody who worked on it, which is probably everybody in Rothko, uh, because it took about two and a half years mm-hmm. to get done. And for those who, who aren't familiar with it, Sailists is um, an idea we had for Warner Music. And it basically came through conversations we had with Warner Music about using music for good. And um, over the two and a half years, we made Sailist. So Sailist is is basically, it's it's playlists for sounds, for, for specific sounds, so that kids can sing along basically to sounds that they are having issues with, like k, f, t. Um, and, there's a, and there's a playlist with, with that particular sound that they have an issue with, and it's constantly changing. So it's always fresh and it's always interesting. We have a look Let's at it? Let's have a look. One in 12 young people have some form of speech impediment. The best way of overcoming one is through repetition, practicing problem sounds over and over and over. The problem is repetition is boring. The bogle barrel word of the bogle barrel word have trouble with pronouncing those words. The burger barrel roared around the railroad railroad. It's boring. Except when it happens in music. That's where sailists come in. We created an algorithm to analyze popular music for patterns of repetition that are helpful for speech therapy. Songs where particular sounds occur in particular patterns that are helpful for overcoming an impediment. Apple Music then conducted the single largest data analysis of song lyrics ever, scanning millions of tracks to isolate the songs with therapeutic value. 
These songs were curated by Warner Music and weaved into playlists. Playlists where singing along can help your speech. So that's enough about us slapping each other on the back. Let's get into all the other uh, great ideas that we've seen this year. We've all kind of picked our own favourites. And uh, Anthony, you've gone for Nopla, which took the uh, Grand Prix for design packaging. Yeah, so Notpla, however it's pronounced, Notpla, um, and we can discuss the name. It kind of sounds um, like a piece of IKEA furniture. It does, actually. <laughs> so the the idea with Notpla is sort of uh, baked into into the name, not plastic. Um, it's uh, so so the the idea is that plastic takes seven hundred years to decompose, um, whereas this is very literally not plastic. It's sustainable packaging. Uh, that uses seaweed-based material to make sure that the product naturally decomposes within weeks. So there's a really cool sort of time-lapse video they've got of um, a couple of plastic products and the Notpla uh, sachet that they've created uh, decomposing in a week, whereas the um, tomato sauce uh, one will probably uh, take a, a good few hundred years. Um, and so what what is really cool about this and it's just won a Grand Prix in design, well-deserved, uh, is just, it just feels like a genuine, like, game changer. Actually, I'm surprised it's not in the titanium list um, because this feels like it could, cha- it will change every industry, uh, not not just one industry. Um, I'm not sure if it makes, if they make hard plastic or if they make, if they will eventually be making bottles um, and stuff like that. But at this stage, they're, they're ma- mainly talking about these sachets um, to replace, you yeah. know. She, said, she says at the end of the case study that they're going, they're prototyping, I think, hard or, or boxes, solid boxes. Um, Which would be even more amazing. boxes, yeah. isn't it? So I'd imagine it's going to branch out into every possible packaging. Would you put it in your mouth, Anthony? That's the question. I'm dying to. <laughs> wow. Okay. Fantastic. I'm not sure I would. I'd certainly, really? Yeah, I kind of want to run it under the tap before I did <laughs> that. But it's an Alan, amazing. If somebody handed amazing. you one of them full of rosé at Cannes 2022, that would, yeah. <laughs> would you run it under the tap or would you just go for it? I would. I would. I'd give it a rinse, uh, Joe. Uh, I, I, I won't lie. Um, I'm a bit of a clean freak, so... I don't care what's in it. It's getting a rinse. Um, but yeah, an amazing product. And I think it's one of those that you're going to see every brand uh, is going to want a part of. Uh, and it's going to be on a lot of shelves in, in the next couple of years. Unlike, you know, some of the some of the great innovations that come out of Cannes, you never actually see again. And you mm. wonder, what the hell happened that? I don't think this is going to fall into that. What's category. cool about this is it's not just uh, some finished thing. It's like it, the future applications, like anyone watching the case study can just imagine how much more they can do with this in the future. So, yeah, it, it's really unique in, in that sense. All right, Jen, you've gone for something completely different, <laughs> Boards of Change. I have, yeah, I think this is, you know, a wonderful campaign. It absolutely, you know, really deserves all of the recognition that it's getting at the moment. Essentially what it is, is it was an initiative by the city of Chicago in the wake of the George Floyd protests as a way to essentially direct that anger and that energy into having, you know, a real kind of real and positive impact. So the objective really of the campaign was to ultimately drive voter registration 
um, particularly in black and brown neighborhoods of Chicago. Um, so it was led by Chicago's Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and uh, they worked in partnership with When We All Vote, which was, you know, is an organization founded by Michelle Obama. So there's certainly um, a lot of a lot of you know really important people involved in it. Um, but essentially, what they did was they repurposed the the plywood boards that had barricaded up the storefronts during the protests, and essentially created then voting registration booths from those and. The thing about it is that these boards had become canvases for local artists to express their, you know, their anger at what a bit what happened and what's basically been going on for a very, very long time. And it was a place for them to try and be heard. So they did this really brilliant thing. They transformed these boards that had become that platform for voicing frustration um, and they and they turned it into vehicles for voting. So I think that's really brilliant idea. Um, and, you know, essentially they were able to then bring these around underrepresented neighborhoods, um, engaging local leaders and influencers to help spread that message. So, you know, as I think as a symbol, it was incredibly strong to be able to transform this protest artwork into um, a vehicle that will help encourage these disengaged groups to take that first step to registration of voting. Yeah, no, it seems like an important one. But I think it also did a great job at drawing attention to the issue that uh, you know, of the lack of representation of, of voting, right, and of, of voter suppression in the US, which is a big problem. Um, and for me, it kind of, like, like did a couple jobs. First of all, it was, like, this kind of almost this traveling exhibition. And it was, like, quite beautiful. You know, people actually just went to, 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 to see them in the first place. Then they had a really simple mechanic. I think it was just a QR code attached yeah. to the actual voter boots to get people um, registered. And I think uh, that so was kind of part of part of the beauty of it i think because you know they just focused on that first key step that registration they didn't try to overreach you know and i think they you know and, and along with that qr code as well just the simplicity of it i think really helped it to um you know to gain traction and to, to kind of just to to get you know to do what it needed to do and, and and drive that um you know drive the registrations in in the areas they need to drive it in anthony were you a fan i was yeah i thought it was a uh, um uh like we all knew there was going to be uh something in this world that was going to win big this year um and so i think that w- you, you couldn't find one more well deserved because it's actually making a difference yeah it's done so well as well it's mm-hmm. only day two and it's won a grand prix in media i think three goals four silvers and four bronze that's boards of change joe you've gone for the probably the most talked about campaign in the last two years, Moldy Whopper. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, you know, hugely talked about campaign and quite divisive, I think, um, especially within the industry as well. If you look at different industry publications, how people speak about it or feel about it. Um, but I mean, if you look at like winners in the past couple of years, like like say, like Nike, the Colin Kaepernick um, Dream Crazy campaign, that was a really good demonstration of like how powerful divisiveness can be. Um, and garnering attention but like this is also just burger king doing what they do best right which is essentially trolling mcdonald's on an international stage um so i mean just a bit of context for people that aren't familiar probably with burger king's creative advertising or their their platform so they know they're 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 much smaller than their main competitor i think their brand value is something like 18 times smaller than mcdonald's and they've only got a, a fraction of the market share of mcdonald's too so Essentially, what that means is they have less money to spend on marketing than their competitor. 
Um, so th- what they've kind of learned, I guess, and really refined over the past few years is that being fearless is, is, is working for them, right, and paying off. So everything they do is, is, is big, bold, disruptive, and it's all done to just generate talkability and generate earned media. Um, good examples from the past would have been the Whopper Detour, uh, where they turn McDonald's outlets into 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 places where you could purchase Burger King um, food. Um, then they did another campaign where they basically it was really simple. They just hid, they hid Whop or sorry, they hid Big Macs behind Whoppers in all of their campaigns, and then revealed it yeah. like a year later to show how much bigger the Whopper was than a Big Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess like with this campaign in particular, so like uh, this, this is, it's less, I guess, less of a direct hit than some of the other campaigns. It's kind of more like throwing shade at McDonald's. Um, so th- what they did is they, they basically the strategy was to try cut, cut through in a world that's having, you know, tons of conversations around food sustainability um, and even like around, um, around the, like how, food products are marketed to us. So there was a, a viral article last year talking about all those crazy practices that, um, you know, those food artists use for uh, developing, mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, for the photo shoots for food campaigns. So things like using shampoo instead of milk for, you know, cornflakes ads because they know if they leave the milk in for too long, they'll go soggy and it won't look nice. Really? Yeah, yeah. So there's tons <laughs> of them using gasoline and stuff or like just like going crazy on the food colorings. Uh, so they kind of that was at play, but like Burger King, essentially they've started to remove all the preservatives and additives from the burgers, especially in the European markets. Um, in Sweden, I think it's where it started, and now they're doing it um, across the US, kind of like region by region. So it's not like kind of huge, like once-off effort, but um, they wanted to draw attention to that and cut through. So basically, um, the the campaign is really simple. It's 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 just showing a burger shot really up close. And the day that the picture was taken, so it'll be like day 32, day 34, and you can see it in all of its uh, all of its glory. So it's a, a big moldy burger, essentially, um, which kind of, I guess, breaks category conventions of showing products when they're like mm-hmm. at their most beautiful, their most perfect. So for me, it's kind of like the the, the Dove Real Beauty campaign, but for fast food. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so I mean, look at like it was incredibly divisive, um, but it, it, it was risky and it paid off. I mean, like their sales grew by 14%. Um, perception of Burger King as having really good quality ingredients grew massively. Um, it perfectly I, communicates that. But yeah. like the thing is like, and, and the, the other brilliant thing about it is like no other client in the world would ever say yes to doing that like only burger king would would do something but like the that. thing is they've got to keep topping themselves now at this stage do you know what yeah. i mean and and where are they gonna where are they gonna go you know and i think that they have to they they, they can't not be risky anymore they can't not push it to the to the, you know, the actual it's true and like i mean because of their behavior like from their past campaigns they're kind of like like to your point anthony it kind of allows them to do this right mm. like because of all the work that they're building on like so they're just standing on the shoulders of all like the work that they've done for the past few years it allows them to go into these kind of new scary spaces and get away with it you know so yeah i mean to your point jen i'm looking forward to see what they, <laughs> they do next year <laughs> okay let's move on to let's move on to me uh the one i've gone for is womb pain stories um nobody i imagine is jumping around when the womb pain brief lands on their desk uh this one is for body form and it just shows you how 
how far mm. uh, brands like Bodyform have come, even in the last 10, 15 years. This, this campaign is amazing. I think it's, I think it's going to probably, when you, when you tot up all the winners at the end of this, this is going to come out on top. Mm. Um, it, it's, just, it's just got everything. Um, and idiot me, when I, when, I, when I saw it first, I looked at it and I just, I kind of missed a lot of what's in there. Um, mm. I, I looked at it and I just thought the production was amazing, mm. you know, for a mixed media campaign, the animation, the music, the production, the style, everything about it is, and the storytelling is phenomenal. Mm. And um, it's actually only when... Uh, I looked properly at the case study and all the other things that went along with it. I, I really kind of got it and appreciated how amazing this is. Um, you know, they had stuff like um, first ever pain dictionary. So up until that point, it's so obvious, but up until that point, you know, before wound pain stories, you know, it, you know, your doctor would ask you, you know, what's the pain like from one to 10? And the, it's not actually that helpful. So mm. what the guys at Bodyform did is they, they described all the various different pain that you can get um, and, and went into some, dis, you know, quite descriptive uh, ways of, uh, of bringing those to life, along with amazing animation mm. and illustrations as well. But it was re- like, God, it was really helpful. It was one of those things, why didn't, you know, why didn't somebody think of that before? It's so rich this campaign, and it's and it feels really, really important. And it's one of those campaigns that probably, in one uh, foul swoop, you know, bursts. I don't know how many taboos um, that you know no brand had even gone near mm. before. Um, so I think I think this is going to be the the talk of the uh, of the festival when it's when it's when it's all said and done yeah yeah Jen, well and, and absolutely right you say because i think you know for me there's like you say there's there's so so many reasons why i love this campaign I wouldn't even know where to start you know like from a consumer perspective and also from you know a marketeer's perspective you know because i think from a consumer point of view as a consumer of their product they absolutely nailed you know articulating like what the female experience and the absolute truth of it you know and i think that that side of things has been absent for so long um and i think the fact that they kind of leaned into kind of like the complexity of that experience in all its like horrendous glory at times you know and i think as marketers we often try to keep things really simple you know, and I, for me, that's kind of the beauty of this campaign is that it's mm. been so successful in its articulation despite that complexity. And for me, that's, you know, that's the kind of the art of it all, you know, and I, I like, you know, I, I've watched this, I don't know how many times I've, I've repeatedly watched this and it still, it still gets me. Um, And like you were saying there, like, I think for a brand, this kind of honesty could have been perceived as a risk, you know, upfront. But I think, you know, we, we know, like from research, you know, that kind of that emotional connection. And if we can, can emotionally connect with our, our customers, they can be twice as valuable um, as maybe like a highly satisfied customer. So I think being this brave and striving for that emotional connection can make financial sense, too. You know, they did see that kind of huge um, uh, market share. So I really do hope that brands kind of take heed in that. We see a lot more of that kind of coming through. Yeah. 
Uh, it feels really important. I think, guys, we're going to move into a quick fire round. Obviously, there's so much to take in uh, with can lines, and there's so many good ideas out there. Do you want to take, you know, what's your, wh- other than the ones we've gone through, what are your top two outside those? Anthony, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, just the, the, the two I was thinking of, I'm going to start with one that has not won anything yet and it's been shortlisted and it probably will stay there, right? Uh, but I, I think it's a great idea and the reason I bring it up is because I think it's getting harder and harder for ideas like this to sort of win because, as we just heard with Womb Stories and um, Salis and uh, all the other ones, th- there's a big, massive change boards are changed like there's something transformative happening so i'll get to the actual idea so it's a uh, lp so this is really just a, a bit of fun it's a uh, an lp uh, released by the metal band slayer that um in order to so it, it can withstand um the, the the vinyl can withstand uh temperatures ridiculous temperatures to open it you have to set it on fire so this is Slayer's last album, and the only way to open it is to set it on fire. And I just think, That's like, amazing. yeah, I just feel like a couple of years ago, this would have been, this would have kicked ass. It, it, it's not transforming, and it. it's just a good bit of fun. And I really wanted to sort of bring that up, just to be like, you know, these things should still be celebrated. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like, as just a piece yeah. of design. Yeah. Um, and the other one I was uh, wanted to bring up was Su- Superb Owl. Which is uh, it's just won a Grand Prix for social and influencer strategy, and basically it's Reddit's Super Bowl ad uh, where they did five seconds of this wall of text, knowing exactly the first, amazingly, the first time anything like that's been done, knowing their audience or knowing it's going to pique curiosity, knowing that they'll jump straight on Reddit to talk about it. Um, and you know, I won't go too deep into it, but it, it, it's, I, I just love the, the sort of subversion of Super Bowl spend big money. And we just did a wall of text that cost them obviously nothing to actually execute, but obviously that five seconds I'm sure was a trillion yeah. bucks. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Jan, what were your also? Um, I, well, I had, I picked out a couple of, from the creative data, um, category, um, and I think, which I think were really interesting, like one, you know, speaking of Reddit was um, up the vote. And I, you know, so this was um, uh, a campaign for Reddit by RGA in San Francisco. And essentially this campaign had the same objective as Boards of Change to drive voter registration. It just did it in quite a different way. Um, and it really cleverly used uh, data in context to spark conversation. So like it used things like geofence billboards and kind of district level voting data, but to actually to place the more abstract national voting numbers into the context of Redditor's experience. So I think that was just really nice. And, you know, it's an interesting play with, 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 with the kind of the numbers. And, um, and I think it really anchored nicely to Reddit's purpose with that kind of the power of the community. So it did, it apparently did really well in kind of driving that uplift in the brand perception as well. So it's, um, and got loads of people closer to, to registration. So it, it kind of did the same job as boards have changed, but just kind of a, a different a different way of going about it. Um, and another creative data, um, and um, another creative data um, campaign is the word I'm trying to find, um, is, <laughs> is not just a Cadbury ad. And this was kind of more around the data-driven targeting. And I think it was, it was just really nice. It was 
um, a campaign by Ogilvy in Mumbai. And what they re- what they wanted to do was support kind of these really small local retailers in the height of the pandemic who were really struggling. Um, you know, these are uh, these are really you know offline, really small little um, kiosks and 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 things like that. So they created an ad and then they hyper personalized it. So they use geo target um, geo targeting and basing it on viewers pin codes. And I think the beauty of this was because um, from a data perspective, it was just so well done because it was so hard to do because of all of these kind of these retailers were offline, they didn't have an online presence. And you know, they had to actually go and create a whole data infrastructure for it themselves. But it was just a really nice way of kind of bringing these offline retailers into this kind of online world and actually supporting um, supporting them in, in all of the, the terrible stuff that's been going on and the whole pandemic stuff. So yeah, it was yeah. really nice. Yeah, I love that. I love that Cadbury's idea that was super smart. Um, Joe, what were your other highlights? Yeah, so it's obviously Can Line season, but um, this month it's also Pride season. Um, so there was a campaign that stood out to me from the Ukraine called Motherland. And this is a really interesting one because, I mean, you think about Ukraine, right? They don't have the best track record on LGBTQ plus rights. Um, I mean, if you see imagery from pride parades in the past, you'll see people burning pride flags, like people with like visible injuries. Like, um, I mean, they've said that the, typically the pride parade in Kiev, that there's more police attending than there is actual demonstrators. So it gives you a sense of what it's like. But obviously last year, pride parades around the world were cancelled because mass gatherings were not allowed. So, I mean, particularly in, in countries like the Ukraine, like pride parades are so important um, to actually give a voice to that community and give visibility to that community as well. Um, so this was uh, done by, I think, Sachi and Sachi in, in partnership with Kiev Pride. And essentially what they did is they took an existing monument, right? So this is called the Motherland Monument. It is this enormous statue. I mean, for people in Dublin, this is like a little smaller than the spire. And it's basically of this, um, th- this this warrior woman. And on one hand, she's yielding a she- shield. And then on the other hand, she's shield- er, wielding this massive sword. And it's supposed to be the symbol of, of like this kind of Soviet era um, symbol of victory and protection. But essentially what they did was they, they, they tied a giant pride flag to a drone. And like, it's really impressive when you watch them do this because they're lifting it into the air and then it's been written on by all these gay rights organizations. Um, they write little messages on the flag and they lifted it up and brought it over to the monument, right? And then they, the way they positioned it was directly in front of the sword. So it looked like she was wielding a pride flag. And it was oh, something, brilliant. yeah, yeah. It was just, it was so beautiful and really simple to look at. Mm-hmm. And what they did was they kind of transformed this symbol, which had become kind of synonymous with like, um, like conservative Soviet values, back to its original meaning of of victory and protection, which was quite interesting. Um, but yeah, it was a be- and like I think my favorite part about this was kind of the the the, the journey went on afterwards because people started making t-shirts of their own accord, like and little badges and stuff of that statue with the pride flag in it. So now it's become like kind of, uh, it's become its own thing, right? It's become kind of part of culture and it doesn't look like it's disappearing anytime soon. So it's become it's kind of redefined to the statue in a way. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. So yeah. I thought that was lovely. The, the second one, like, and I'll, I'll be brief in this, but it's just the, the donation dollar, which are probably a lot of people are familiar with. It's an Australian campaign. And it's one of those things where somebody explains the idea to you and then it takes you a minute to kind of comprehend it and grasp it. 
But once you do, you're like, oh my God, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's So essentially what they did was they, they, they partnered with the, the Royal Australian Mint to put $25 million coins into circulation. But these were like donation dollars. So they would stay in circulation, right, forever, essentially. So one for every Australian. And what they serve, like the purpose that they serve is just to be a little reminder to donate and to give back. So you get one in your change when you go to the shop and you buy a coffee or whatever, and you're like, oh, a donation dollar. Um, and it kind of it just serves as that kind of little micro reminder to like give to charity. So it's perfect for like, you know, the 57,000 uh, Aussie charities. Um, and it's kind of like, and then like kind of an acute little feature of it as well is that in the center is a green, like a, a green circle. And that slowly wears away over time to remind people of the amount of value that is put back into um, into into the, the charity sector in Australia. I think they said that if every Australian donated like one donation dollar every month, it would put something like $300 million every year um, into the Australian charity and NGO sector. So like, just a really lovely idea. Yeah, they're, they're both lovely. I haven't heard the uh, Motherland Monument one before. That sounds amazing. Mm, but give it a watch. Uh, it's, check that yeah, out. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, guys, listen, before we go, um, just very quickly, Salus is up for the Titanium line on, I think, Thursday. Um, firstly, and this is to you, Anthony, what is Titanium? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> so as far as I understand it, it's game-changing creativity. So for me, it's like... Uh, the, the judges get together and I go, okay, let's forget forget uh, categories here. Which one is changing uh, communications for good? Um, we're not necessarily transforming sort of like uh, charities or, or, or uh, societal issues, but just I, I think which one is changing our industry? That's how I say it. Thank you for clarifying <laughs> that for people who didn't know. Um, so are we going to do it? A quick a quick yes I mean, or no? there's incredible competition in there but oh, that sounds like a but no. there's a but absolutely why not why not okay that's that's a maybe anthony so what one quick question so does only one person win titanium or can several several can but they don't generally give out many right i i think it, i think it stands a chance i really do that's god that's so negative Really? <laughs> I felt like this is the most unjinxable um, uh, campaign. Like I always knew it was going to win stuff. Um, so I feel like that's quite positive. <laughs> okay. Joe? I'm going to use the power of the secret and just uh, like think it into happening. <laughs> <laughs> so is it, so it's, a, it's an absolute yes for me. What about you, Alan? I, 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 think, it, I think it will. But... I've never predicted anything correctly in how's my your, life. So. How's your phone doing? And then is it charged? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I better turn that off. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anytime we've won a Grand Prix, uh, my phone has been off. So I will turn that off um, for, for sure on Thursday night. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, but unfortunately, we've run out of time. Um, there's just too much great work to, to talk about. So. Thank you so much, Anthony. And uh, it's a pity it's a podcast because your top knot and beard combo <laughs> are amazing. Thank you for pointing uh, so it out. It's, it's a pity this is only audio. Thank you, Jen and Joe, as well. Um, some great recommendations, which you should all go and check out. 
And of course, there's lots more amazing work and lines uh, to be awarded at Cannes yet. So we'll be back next Monday with a review of the festival and discussing some of the key trends that have emerged. So we'll see you then. See you then. Bye. 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 Bye.